When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing... The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. Welcome to Out of the Blue from Maze and Brew, part of the SB Nation Podcast Network, a podcast that has thrice attempted to steal the Declaration of Independence to no avail. I am Jared Stormer of MazeandBrew.com. With me, as always, is Andy Bailey, my hetero life mate, also of MazeandBrew.com. And you pre-Cambrian era water buffalo. How you been, my friend? Got a bottle of Robitussin and a passport in each hand, brother. I couldn't be better. <laughs> That's my boy. I knew you'd be ready for this one. We're talking <laughs> offense tonight. Can't do that without some cough syrup. No, I had to like bring myself down a little bit. It's like I no longer, you know, just have to take natural suppressants because I'm too jacked up talking Michigan ball. So I'd break out a bottle of Roby. Feel feeling good now. <laughs> take a hell of a day to quit sniffing glue and of amphetamines. <laughs> So it's gonna it's gonna be a good podcast. Today. I'm excited. I'm excited too, man. I'm excited. We got a couple quick hits before we get in. We're we're gonna keep moving through our positional breakdown. Moving to the offense now after talking about the defense the last couple weeks. Uh, a couple quick hits. Devin Funchess. I don't know Michigan legend. Michigan, um, you know mainstay. I don't really know how we qualify Devin Funchess, but certainly Michigan former Michigan player. Uh, hasn't played tight end since 2013. Just signed a, a deal to play tight end for the Lions. I don't really know what to make of this. I, I kind of figured Devin Funches was past his prime, but still out there getting contracts. You know what? G- good for Devin Funches. As long as there's a bag to get and a former Michigan player, one who I'm actually like, I really rode for Funches while he was at Michigan. So I'm happy for him, you know? 
keep it going, keep securing the bag, and now he gets to be on the same team as Aiden Hutchinson, and you and I are going to see him live this year. I mean, that sounds like a win-win-win. It is a win for all of us, especially you and I, who will be there uh, the game after, the day after we watch uh, Michigan-Michigan State going to catch Lions-Dolphins right down the road in Detroit. So that's going to be a pretty elite sports weekend right there. Get to watch Hutch again, too. Oh, my gosh. And hopefully Funches, if he can stay on the team. But I'm a little skeptical. But uh, since we're talking tight ends tonight, I thought I at least had to mention that. It feels more like a locker room move, just like a stability thing. You have a roster spot to fill. Why not bring in a positive influence? I'm with you. Yeah, he's not beating out Hawkinson, but could end up providing some depth for him. So something to keep an eye on. Uh, I had kind of a weird one for you because uh, last weekend I watched the new Adam Sandler sports movie, Hustle, the basketball movie. Really good. I kind of wanted to take two seconds. What are your opinions on sports movies of the modern era? Have you seen the new Sandler movie yet? I've not yet. It's on the docket. You and I have been discussing this for quite a while. And modern sports movies are interesting. I feel like there's actually like a decent bit of them if you dive into like the streaming services, but not a lot of classic hits. It's hard for me off the top of my head to even think of the last one where I was telling you or others like you have to see this one. It's the next one in a line of sports movies. Yeah, that's what I thought. That's why I wanted to mention this is this feels important, maybe because, um, you know, it's just been a while since we've had a sports movie that seems to be really well regarded and everybody likes it and it's performing well. I think it was Netflix number one movie there for like a week running straight. Uh, but part of the movie that I really like is that it goes back to that old school, like 80s format where everything was kind of the Rocky thing where it, it's very basic. You know what you're getting like down on your luck guy. One last chance to do this. Got to hustle. There's a montage in there. Got to have a training montage because a lot of the sports movies recently feel more sports adjacent like Moneyball or or things like that, where it's like, yeah, I mean, this is a sports movie technically, but it's more about, you know, X, Y or Z. Um, so I don't know. It could be it could be maybe the changing of the guard and things shifting. And, and maybe we're going to see some more quality sports movies starting to come. It's just a thought I had. No, that's a great point, because like all the movies in the 80s were very formulaic. More often than not, it was a formula that worked. And if it, as long as it works, keep feeding it to us. And that's a great point about uh, modern movies being more of like sports adjacent. Like the sport was like a supporting character, like Moneyball, even Draft Day, or uh, that the way back, the uh, Ben Stiller movie that came out right before the pan- Ben Stiller, Ben Affleck movie that came out right before the pandemic. And 80s movies, sports was the main character. It was the star. It was the co-star. It was everything and in between. So it's good to see that Sandler's bringing it back. And Sandler's got a, you know, it may not be like the highest quality, but he's got quite the sports run like Arsenal now to his name. That's what I'm saying. You got Happy Gilmore. You've got, um, I'm obviously, uh, The Longest Yard. Is there another sports in there? I mean, he's a sports better. Waterboy. Uncut Gems and Waterboy. Yeah. So, I mean, not all of those are the best and not all of them hit. And Uncut Gems kind of sports adjacent. That's a little bit of a stretch. But, yeah, he's, he's right behind Costner for sports movie greatness. Yeah, and he always finds a way to like incorporate like basketball, even in movies like Grown Ups and other side ones, just as like little side funny plots. So Adam Sandler, like, I mean, the sports star we need in 2022. I'm with you. Uh, speaking of what we need in 2022, it's been a while since we've done some rapid fire, brother. Are you ready for this? You haven't read any of these. I keep them hidden in the document, uh, but I'm, I'm ready to come at you with some fire if you're ready to take it. I just hit some smelling salt, sir. Let's do it. <laughs> that a boy I knew I could count on you. All right. Question one. What is the best football movie of all time? 
Um, oh man, right off the bat. Um, I want to say any given Sunday, but I am going to say Friday Night Lights. I like it. I'm not going to argue with that. We would also accept Remember the Titans. Uh, best basketball movie of all time. This is tough because I'm not a big Hoosiers person, and it feels like almost like blasphemous to say that to a certain degree. Uh, I, I don't I'm not a Coach Carter fan. Oh, man, this is it's a tough one, right? I'm not going to say Glory Road. Yeah, this is it's it's tougher than I thought it would be. I man, I hate it's not it's my favorite. So I'm just going to say I'm going to say I like blue chips. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I, I like blue chips. That's a good one. I thought you might go Space Jam or like what Air Bud or something. You got to get into some weird ones with basketball movies. Uh, you know, or he got game. I'm sorry, he got game. He got game's a great answer. He got game's a good one. All right, best non-U.S. born Michigan player, basketball or football, of your lifetime. Does David Ojabo count? He does. He was born in uh, yeah. He was born in uh, Nigeria. Moved to Scotland, right? He definitely counts. Where was Tim Biakabatuka born? I do not know. I don't know that off the top of my head. I was I was like nine when Tim Biakabatuka was doing his thing. I mean, he he was doing his thing. Uh, he was doing his thing. Oh, Tim Biakabatuka. He was born. In, he was born in the Congo. Tim Biakabatuka is my answer. Okay, I like that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I might have gone Franz or, or Mo, but yeah, there's a lot of good answers you can go with there. It's not Julius Welshoff. Did Franz? Did Franz Wagner have 300 yards against Ohio State? I think not. <laughs> he he would have if he could have. Um, does Jordan Poole stay with the Warriors <laughs> or go somewhere where he can be the face of a franchise? If Jordan Poole knows what's good for him, he'll stay with the Warriors in the most stable franchise where Steph Curry is going to play for another probably 10 years and they can coexist and he can protect himself. And But if he does the... Um, you know, the AAU trending thing in the NBA of hopping and running your own team, he's going to end up in the Kings making like $50 million a year being highly inefficient and winning 30 games a season. I think he stays in Golden State. I think so too. You go anywhere else, you might look like Jordan Clarkson and less like Jordan Poole, so I'm with you. Uh, next question. Most sneaky, difficult game on the UM schedule this season? Let me take a quick look. I feel like there's an easy answer on this one. Sneaky difficult, so you can't say like Penn State. Would Iowa qualify? Uh, Yeah, I would qualify. I mean, that's a pretty big program, and you know what you're going to get out of them. I mean, we just played them in the Big Ten Championship, so, I mean, they were the Big Ten runners-up. So, I don't know if that could be sneaky, but I'll accept it for this. I was going to say Nebraska, but. That's I, I, I lean Iowa just because like it's it's at Kinnick. They bring back, I believe, the most starters of any Big Ten team. Nebraska is good. I like that we get them late in the year. Honestly, I'll tell you a team that's on the rise, and it's just because I'm partial because of the way they play, is Illinois. The week before Ohio State, the way Brett Bielema has that program heading in the right direction. I think that's a very sneaky game. That's a good one, too. Definitely a good answer there. Um, next question. Do you think Josh Gaddis really slept with a recruit's mom? <laughs> No comment. <laughs> Next question. Do you have more confidence in the offensive or defensive play calling in 2022? 
I have more confidence in the offensive play calling because Sharon Moore really had his hand in the pot last year and has direct experience with that offense. Seems to really command respect in there. And although Jesse Mentor's running the supposedly the quote-unquote same system as Mike McDonald, he wasn't in the building last year. So you still got to get a feel for it. You weren't on the sideline. So that's going to take some time to adjust. I like the fact that Moore was there, he and uh, Weiss together. I agree fully for all the reasons that you just listed. That is probably the right answer there. Uh, next question. More talented Michigan hockey team, 2021 or 2022? 2021, because it was proven all these guys were second years coming back after um, the COVID year it ended in disaster and you had the high draft picks. But boy, I'm telling you what, that 2022 team is a monster coming in full of talent. This is one of the best recruiting classes they've ever had. Um, just the one of the latest signings was one of the leading scorers in Canada, averaged over two points a game. I think he had 150 points in, in 75 game season last year. I'm, I'm just telling everybody right now, like I'm going to be at Yost a few times this year for good reason. This team is going to surprise some people if you're sleeping on them. I love it. You were loaded up on that one, ready to go with some stats too. Didn't even prep you for that. That's my boy. Uh, Next question. The best Tom Cruise movie is blank. Is I haven't seen Top Gun 2, so I can't say Top Gun Maverick yet. I'm still so I'm still going to just go on my two favorite uh, Tom Cruise movies are Jerry Maguire and Top Gun 1. I like it. Great answers. I would have also accepted Mission Impossible 1. Great movie. And also, Jerry Maguire is one of those sports-adjacent movies that kind of turned the tide. Exactly. 100% with you. Uh, next question. Can Hunter Dickinson surpass Trey Burke as the most beloved recent UM basketball player with a Final Four appearance? I'm going to surprise you on this one, and I'm going to say yes. Because of uh, solely based off the one podcast you and I listened to this offseason when he was on with, uh, I believe it was Doug... So Doug, I wasn't Doug Karsh, as Brian Bush, and they were talking about it. And his his maturity really shone through in that. And I'm like, if Hunter Dickinson could put this team on his back with all this uncertainty and just go nuclear and carry them to a Final Four appearance, especially after last season, all the doubt against them, I'm going to say yes. But I think he has to make the national championship game. I am pretty much right there, step in step with you. I agree that he's on the precipice of being able to do it. He's really uh, calmed a lot of the uh, the doubts that I had about him. He's answered a lot of the questions that I had. He's really grown up. So I think so, too. And I mean, sustained greatness at this point. It's hard to argue against his resume. I think one more deep tournament run, and he, he probably is. He's right atop the pyramid there. Um, all right. Next question. Over or under one and a half Wolverines drafted in the first round of the NFL draft next year? I'm going to go under. I say it's going to be one, two. It's, it's very difficult. We barely had two off the 2021 team. So I'm going to say just under. Only one goes in the first round. I think you're right, but it's definitely possible to go over. There's a lot of candidates, and uh, we'll have a whole podcast talking about who they might be as uh, the season moves along. But I'm with you for now. I'll go under two. Uh, last question. Who is worth more money, Jordan Poole or Jordan Peele? <laughs> That's a great question. Uh, man, uh, Jordan Peele should be worth an infinite amount of money because he's a true original author and makes consistently intriguing cinema, but it's probably Jordan Poole. 
Uh, I think it is Jordan Peele, but Jordan Poole hasn't signed that second deal yet. Once Poole signs that second deal, I mean, we're talking generational wealth. He's about to get paid after this finals run. So it's Peele for now, but Poole's nipping at his heels. God, Are you excited for the movie? Nope. I am indeed. Yeah, I think this is going to be a good summer of movies. That's why I kind of wanted to touch on some of the movies. And you and I were talking uh, some of the TV shows we're in right now. It's just good content year. Good content year. I don't know what that means for Michigan sports, but I, it, it means something. And, and I'm leaning towards it being good news. I, I don't know. There might be no correlation yeah. at all. And if you're a fan of good content, and you're listening to this. I can assure you you're in the right place. That's what I'm saying, brother. Um, all right. When we come back, we're going to take a quick break, but we're moving to the offense. I'm super excited about this. We're going to do offensive line and tight ends tonight. So we're going to have an extra special, a uh, little bit longer back half of this. So going to take a break and come back and uh, we're going to cook when it comes to this offense. Excited for that. This episode is sponsored by BetterHelp. We all carry around different stressors in life, whether they be big, small, or anywhere in between. And when we keep those bottled up, it can start to affect us in a negative way. Therapy is a safe space to get things off your chest and to figure out how to work through whatever's weighing you down. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched up with a licensed therapist, and if for some reason that therapist isn't working out for you, you can switch at any time for no additional charge. Get life's challenges off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Block M to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Block M. Step into the world of power, loyalty, and luck. I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. With family, cannolis, and spins mean everything. Now, you want to get mixed up in the family business. Introducing The Godfather at ChompaCasino.com. Test your luck in the shadowy world of The Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play The Godfather now at ChompaCasino.com. Welcome to the family. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. All right. Welcome back to Out of the Blue. We are moving to the offense in our season preview of all of the depth chart, breaking down all the position groups. We have moved to the offensive line. Also going to talk tight ends tonight. So looking forward to this, man. Uh, the defense was an interesting exercise. There were some areas that we were feeling pretty confident about. Some areas maybe a little bit less so. But I think on this offense, we're feeling pretty good. Uh, before we get into it and start talking position coaches and the players, give me your overall impression of the offensive line. Boy, they are going to be good. <laughs> I mean, you bring back three of five starters. Uh, the center is an upgrade. I mean, all love to vast artists, but he was has a terrible back, and now we're getting a Remington finalist to step in that seems to have immediate chemistry with the group. And then Trent A. Jones, who played extensively last year, like, like stepping in at right tackle. I feel outstandingly confident in the offensive line. I think that you have reason to. Um, I don't know. It's, we're going to get into it, so I'm going to save that actually up for a little bit later about whether or not this is going to be a better overall offensive line. I agree with your point about the upgrade at center, which is saying something because Vastardis was awesome. I think we talked about him maybe second only to Hutchinson as guys that we were just absolutely blown away by 
last year. I mean, one of the biggest risers and guys that outperformed his draft value that you're ever going to see um, as far as like his recruiting value, excuse me, because, I mean, he was like a two-star recruit and, and Bastardus was awesome. But then you bring in Ole, the Virginia transfer, and uh, he's pretty much pegged to be the best center in the nation. They're already thinking that about him and uh, projected to be a first-round draft pick. So I'm, I'm with you. I think you get better at the center position and potentially better around him. So uh, let's get into this, but let's start first with Sharon Moore, and let's start with uh, the, the coaches here. Sharon Moore, who I think is probably one of the two most important player um, position coaches on this team next year as far as the, the success that we're hoping to see. He'll be co-OC with Matt Weiss, the quarterback's coach. Sounds like Sharon Moore will basically be calling run plays. Matt Weiss will be calling the pass, which is interesting. I, I don't know how that works. I'm assuming it's Harbaugh that says this is going to be a run or we want to run, focus on the run on this drive or focus on the pass, and then they draw something up. It'll be interesting, but we've had co-offensive coordinators before. For. Do you worry about that at all? I'm about 20% worried. No, no more than that. I think everything at, at Michigan right now is like very hammered out, ironed out how it's supposed to be. This isn't two guys that don't know each other. They had ex a lot of experience last year, and from all indications, they were very involved in uh, game plan development. So I think they'll all be on the same page. It won't just be, okay, it's a second and eight now. What do we do? I think they will come in very prepared, very on the same page. So I don't expect any kind of like hiccups. There may be some bumps in the road, like at times, but I think it'll be a pretty smooth product. I have to agree. I mean, or else you don't set it up like this. I mean, you're not really trying to serve two masters. That doesn't help your football team. If you're like, well, we got to keep Matt Weiss happy. We got to keep Sharon Moore happy. If there was one guy that they were like, this is the dude, I think that they would make him the dude. But I think they like what both of these guys bring. Um, they have to, I assume, be on the same page as what Michigan wants to do stylistically, uh, what they want to do based on the playbook. So, yeah, you have to assume they're going to be lockstep together on this, or if not, it's not going to work. So I, I'm with you. I think about 20% concerned, 80% confident. Um, and Sharon Moore is probably the reason I'm so confident. Three seasons, that's tight end coach at Michigan, 18, 19, and 20, where we ha he had some success. I mean, turned Zach Gentry into an NFL player. So uh, that, that was pretty good. Moved to the offensive line where I guess we can just have this debate now. Probably the best offensive line we've seen in our lifetimes at Michigan was, was last year's offensive line, and, and he was the guy behind that. Would you agree? I mean, or, or what is competing against last year for the best offensive line performance you've seen? I would say you'd have to go back to like the 06 because you have Jake Long, the the best offensive line that we've had at Michigan in the 21st century, anchoring that unit with Mike Hart and Chad Henney. But what they what they did last year with they should have had 2,000-yard rushers, uh, if Blake Corm doesn't get hurt, was still just knocking on the door, even missing that time with injury. I, I think that's, that's your discussion. But now we're in like one of those best two-year runs ever if this unit takes a step up from last season. John Madden said it was the best offensive line performance he's ever seen against Ohio State. And John Madden was coaching football during like the Vietnam War. Like before that, I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure the Korean War. So, I mean, that dude knows football. And if he says that this is the best offensive line that he's seen, like, who are we to say anything other than that? So I would say, yes, last year's was the best offensive line that we've seen at Michigan. And Sharon Moore is the architect of that. Now he's going to be co-OC. He'll still be in charge of the offensive line where he played at University of Oklahoma. Uh, he won uh, two Big 12 championships, played in two BCS bowl games, had some success as a player, uh, bounced around a little bit. He was in the MAC. 
Um, and then he was, was he central Michigan before he ended up at Michigan. So he's still a pretty young guy, um, considered a great recruiter, um, really developed the line. Um, Ed Wariner handed him, I would say, uh, you know, a, pretty much a Corvette. Ed Wariner did great work before Sharon Moore. So he inherited a well-oiled machine, but then he turned that well-oiled machine into a monster. Um, I mean, this is the Joe Moore award-winning group from last year. They backed for record. They blocked for record-setting back in Haskins, uh, twenty touchdowns last year. Almost like you mentioned, had a second thousand-yard back in Blake Corum. He had nine fifty-two, um, and they led the nation with thirty-nine total rushing touchdowns, fewest tackles for loss in the country per game at two point four three, fifth fewest sacks. So all of that. I mean, you don't give all the credit to Sharon Moore, but he's the architect behind a lot of that, and as far as just guys that you want to feel confident in him as an offensive line coach is like a hundred of a hundred confidence. Now we get to see what he brings as a play caller. That was beautiful first and foremost. Oh, and when you talk about like how important he is to the team, you and I even discussed last year when Josh Gaddis won the Broyles award for the top assistant coach in the country that we didn't know if he was honestly the, one of the top two assistants just in this team. You and I really value what Sharon Moore did with this offensive line. And one of the biggest reasons why I think this unit could be better than the last season is besides the talent, besides the experience, is the chip on the shoulder these guys are going to have. Because the last time we saw them, they were getting demolished by Georgia's defensive line. Like You can tell me all the first-rounders, everybody's out there, but getting your ass kicked on national television isn't fun, and that's a great way for a unit not to be complacent, but it enables them to take that next step towards like greatness and even immortality if I want to be hyperbolic. I don't think that you are. I think that there, I mean, at least in the fa- the eyes of Michigan fandom, I think that there is some immortality to what they did last year. You beat the, the brakes off of Ohio State and do it in such a manner, and after such a long period, you're going to be remembered. And, and we're going to remember guys like Vastardis, who when you want to match Vastardis up against Jordan Davis, that's almost like comically unfair. Like no human should have to guard Jordan Davis. And, and that was a historic Georgia defense. So measuring them against that uh, Georgia defense is, is, I mean, maybe doing them a disservice when you saw what they were able to do against the rest of their schedule. So, yeah, I mean, I think that is a historic offensive line from last year. And Phil Steele projects Michigan to once again have one of the best offensive lines in the country. And I, I'm right there with them. So uh, you want to go through the guys? Absolutely. Let's take a look at what we have next season. A lot of these names you're already going to know. And I'm going to go left to right, starting at left tackle. So you have Ryan Hayes, Trevor Keegan, Oluolu Tumi at center, or center. I can, I'm can. i always going to butcher that name all season long. Zach Zenter at right guard, arguably the most talented player on the offensive line. We'll get into that. Trent A. Jones at right tackle. And the guy you need to be familiar with, again, from last year is Carson Barnhart, who can play inside and outside. And with the inevitable attrition on the offensive line due to injuries or what have you, he will step in and be serviceable. And now all of these guys as well are massive. Across the line, it is 6'7", 6'6", 6'3", 6'6", 6'4", and Barnhart is 6'4". And I think one of the funniest things, Jared, I noticed when I was doing the research is that 307 must be a weight requirement because three of the guys on the offensive line, Ryan Hayes, Trent A. Jones, and Carson Barnhart, and, and Reese Atterbury as reserve are all 307 pounds even. 
Yeah, I was just looking at that. That is bizarre. Maybe it's like 305, so they give themselves like an extra two pounds just to kind of play around with. But that is peculiar. But you're absolutely right. This is a loaded group as far as size. Hayes being the biggest of the group at 6'7", but then Trevor Keegan being the heaviest at 324. Zach Zinter, a Svet, 6'6", 320. I mean, that's just what you want out of a guard. Literally, like I'm pretty sure Bredesen had the same measurements. If you're designing your right guard in a lab, 66320 is what you want. Um, it, Trente Jones at 64 is interesting just because he'll be one of the tackles. I think he's going to be a really good one, too. I do think he'll beat out Carson Barnhart. We seem to be uh, lockstep there and seeing how that plays out. Barnhart, I think he'll be more than serviceable. I think Barnhart's going to be really good. So, uh, which of these guys, I know you mentioned Zach Zinter as maybe the most talented. Who is the star of this group? Is there a star among the group or as much of a star as you can be on an offensive line? I guess. I think the unit together is the star, but if I were going to pick like the strength to me, it's man, that, that left side is so good of Hayes and Keegan, that pair and the experience like Zinter, I think Zinter is the most talented of the group, but on, on his outside shoulder, there's going to be some uncertainty on his inside shoulder, just some like, Lack of chemistry there yet with Oluwatimi, but on the left side, your uh, your quarterback's blind side, you have Ryan Hayes and Keegan together, just two massive humans that can like with played together for a long time now, have developed a good rapport. I think that is the real strength of this side, and that's where you want the strength of your line to be. I agree with you on some of that. I'm going to push back a little bit and say that it might actually be right up at the at the center position uh, and the right side of that with Olu and Zinter being right next to each other there. There probably will be some communication stuff, but they've got all fall to deal with it. Olu is on campus, so they've already begun working on their communication and some of the calls on the line. You know, Sharon Moore is going to be heavily, heavily involved. Olu is an extremely smart kid um, by all accounts. Like It could be like an academic All-American type of dude and that's what you want at the center position so you get him next to zinter who as you mentioned may be the most talented guy pound for pound i think that you're going to see some really interesting and at times dominant combination blocks with those two guys um and that's saying something because you're absolutely right about the left side just having two massive monster dudes and hayes gets out and move converted tight end ryan hayes can move at, at left tackle. So, I mean, there really can't go wrong here. And to say Trent a. Jones is a weak link. I'm doing air quotes there. Cause he's just not that like, we are both very high on Trent a. Jones. So uh, it's tough to really rank uh, who's going to be the most impactful guy here. There's several names that I think could qualify. The fact that Trent a. Jones is the fifth name we get to says all you need to know about this offensive line. Like Trente Jones is the best player on most Michigan offensive lines, or at least in the conversation for that. And when we get to him last year, that just speaks to the strength. And we mentioned Carson Barnhart being that like that sixth man, but it will play with this unit. Then, but even beyond that, Reese Atterbury stepped up last year and played uh, in guard against Nebraska. We had to rotate guys in and out from being banged up. And then our boy, Greg Crippen, the smallest of the group, but he, he is a very, very solid backup. And that just, that's the eighth man is Greg Crippen, who we watched play in reserve last year and get very valuable experience to have a guy like that eight deep. Can you just remember any offensive line where I'm like, yeah, we have a strong eighth man. No, no, it's been a while. I mean, I think there were some times early Brady Hoke where we talked ourselves into a lot of these names because he did recruit the offensive line very well, but he developed like ass. So they, they just never really made it 
<laughs> they never really made it to where they were projected to make it. Um, so no, like as far as guys that we've seen and we're like, oh yeah, that guy could probably, like Giovanni El Hadi could probably come in and be serviceable. You know, like you feel pretty good about it if you start to lose some guys. Now, ideally, these guys stay healthy and make it through the season, but the, the depth is really good and the starters are, I'll just go ahead and say it, the starting five is elite. So we listed nine names altogether. So Michigan's offensive line is deeper than the Boston Celtics. Yeah, they can go deeper on our offensive line than the Celtics can in the finals. You're absolutely right, man. It's uh, it's a good thing. To, it's a good problem to have. I think a lot of these guys are going to be NFL-S draft prospect. I mean, they certainly have the uh, the pedigree there. So uh, I kind of want to do a little exercise here. Didn't plan for this, but I think, think we can do it. Um, would you rather have Ryan Hayes starting next year or Jalen Mayfield how he like basically at his senior year level before he was drafted to Atlanta, who would you think is, is the better player? Senior, senior year Jalen Mayfield is tough because that was 2020. And like that year is so hard to just put into perspective. I, I'm, I've been Hayes, man. Like it, it's tough for me. It's probably a personal thing because I've been on Ryan Hayes since his recruitment. I love how well he plays in space and I just love how like good he is. I mean, he had one bad play, Last year, off the top of my head, I can remember it was a very bad play is when he got beat around the edge by an eventual NFL uh, draft pick from Penn State that forced the fumble. But Ryan Hayes is good, and he's just getting better. So one bad play in, in 2021, I just I just think he – I have really high expectations for me. I'm, like, talking first-team all Big Ten expectations. I'm with you. All right, next one. Would you rather have tr- uh, Trevor Keegan and Zach Zinter or Ben Bredesen and um, Michael Onwenu as your guards? Man, that's really tough. I I would right now before this season, I'm going to say senior year Bredesen and Onwenu because of what they became. Um, but with these two, they could have a season where I could easily pick them over. I think Zach Zenter is every bit as talented as those guys, and I think Trevor Keegan is as well. And they have the size. And the thing with Onwenu was you always heard about the hype, and he he got better, and he was very highly rated, well, went later in the draft than he should have, then developed into a very serviceable starter, very serviceable with the Patriots. But these guys could be there. Like I, I believe in them that deeply. I think Keegan – Oh man, that's a great question, Jared. I, I'm still just, I'm going back and forth in my head, but gut reaction first thing tells me I would go with um, Bredesen and Anuanu before this season. But talk to me come December. We uh, as we forgot when we were doing our draft, Ben Bredesen is a two-time All-American. <laughs> it's you know it's tough to argue with. <laughs> Yeah, that one slipped through the cracks on us there. Who would you take in that scenario? Uh, you're, I think you're absolutely right. You've got to go with – I mean, uh, Onward is more than a serviceable starter. He's really good for the Patriots when he's healthy. So, yeah, you got to go Bredesen and Onwenu, but I agree with what your second point, that these guys could get to that level. Getting above that level, that's going to be tough. Like, you need to get somebody on an All-American team this year. And, I mean, you probably need to get both of them on, on, on an All-American team with – what Anwenu turned into and the All-American appearances for Bredesen. So I think you had the right answer there. I think you had the right answer. Uh, what about at center? You taking Cesar Ruiz? Or you taking Olu? I know we haven't, like, we've watched some tape on him at Virginia, and it's kind of hard to, to break that down, but you have any thoughts on that? Uh, again, it's it's Cesar right now. He was a fir- he was a first round draft pick. He anchored this offense. He was so good on the edges. He could do ever. He had no weaknesses in his game. And I've only seen uh, Olu play against ACC competition. So I want to see it against Big Ten uh, defensive lines and like 
anchoring a Big Ten offensive line because that'll say a lot about him and his potential. But, I mean, if he wins a Remington and they know they rush for 240 yards a game, yeah, I could easily go to Olu. Yeah, all right. And then last one, uh, Trente Jones or John Runyon Jr. at the, the other tackle spot. John Runyon Jr., get out of my face. That's our guy. Yeah, so it sounds like you're actually highest on Ryan Hayes here with Trevor Keegan being the guy you're second highest on. Is that what I can take away from that exercise? Yeah, I mean, that let, got, kind of leads back to me saying in the beginning, like the left side of this offensive line, that's really where I feel the strength is. Yeah, I'm with you. Uh, speaking of strength, the strength of this podcast is the people behind us, and those folks behind us are the people over at Home Field Apparel. Been with them now for years, as long as I've known my co-host here, and that entire time, Home Field Apparel's been uh, keeping the shirts on my back. And uh, I don't know how many days in a row I've gone without walking to my front porch and there's a home field apparel delivery there. I'm rocking some of it right now. It's summertime. So I like to go with my old school Michigan Wolverine shirt with the the kind of the, the sailor looking logo. That's my style. But uh, whatever style you like, Home Field Apparel's got you covered. You can get 20% off your first purchase when you go to homefieldapparel.com and you check out with MNB. So go check them out. All right, um, we kind of mentioned Carson Barnhart, Reese Atterbury, Greg Crippen, Giovanni El-Hadi. Um, outside of Barnhart, and we're, we stand for Greg Crippen on this podcast, is there anybody that you're, like, super excited about in that group that you think is going to be a stud? I think Reese Atterbury has it, and I think uh, if, if Zenter is expected to return next year uh, with Reese Atterbury, uh, Greg Crippen, I mean, these guys are going to really anchor the middle of this defense. There's more questions on the outsides, like for the tackles moving forward, like the depth kind of trickles off. But the interior of this offensive line for years to come is going to be anchored. And Atterbury showed last year just stepping in against Nebraska, hostile environment, hadn't seen much like live first team action like that ever in his career, and just didn't miss a beat. Picked right up with everybody. I think that speaks volumes to the player he is now and is going to become. So all of these guys outside of Olu could return next year. Not all of them will. Um, I imagine Ryan Hayes is going to get drafted. I'm just predicting that right now. I think that a left tackle at that size, if he has a good season, he's gone. Um, and then kind of the same deal for, for Keegan. But I do expect Zinter and probably Trente Jones to be back. So, uh, I mean, just a quick look ahead. Do you think that things are going to fall off a little bit because we're looking at this roster and like this is really good but the depth kind of of younger guys falls off a little bit so they need to recruit this position well but uh, do you see a big drop off from this year to next year I don't because I, I don't see a massive drop off because one I have that much faith in Sharon Moore and you have guys in here we haven't talked about like Tristan Bounds and Connor Jones just sitting there on the roster just mammoths of men waiting to get into the fold and lest we forget, just this time last season, entering 2021, we're like, Vast Artist is starting at center. Oh, man, we are screwed in the middle sometimes. Like, good experience, but not much else. So the fact that you could develop Andrew Vast Artist in his sixth year, took that, you know, that very respected six-year leap of talent, has gives me all the faith in the world in Sharon Moore. As long as he is here and you provide him with ample bodies and just a little bit of talent, he's going to ex exact the most out of each of them. 
you're absolutely right, man. I mean, number 15 in the country with 214 yards per game, second amongst power five schools and sacks allowed. Um, I, I trust in Sharon Moore. I think that they'll develop these guys well. And man, you know, we mentioned the Brady Hoke lack of development for years. I mean, it is so nice because it felt like we were marred in that lack of development in the offensive line for like a decade. And now to have consistent year in and year out guys that are being discussed as NFL players and first round draft picks and Joe Moore award winners. Like things have really, really turned around since the days of uh, Kyle Kalis. <laughs> yeah. And Eric Magnuson. I have, uh, I have three quick over unders for you for next year. You ready? Let's go. All right. So last year, as you alluded to Michigan was second amongst power five schools, it only allowed 14 sacks. So equivalent of one sack a game over under in 22, 16 and a half sacks allowed under, I think under, I mean, 14 is awesome. That was a really good year, but I'll, I'll go right at 16. So I'll go two extra ones, but this is, a, this is going to be a really good offensive line, especially against the pass. Um, we'll see about in the run game. I have to imagine it's going to be strong, but I feel pretty confident about Hayes and Trente Jones, especially uh, on the edges there. So uh, yeah, I'll, I'll go, uh, I'll go under just under though. All right. Last season and, Keep in mind, this probably has a little bit to do with Hassan Haskins, who always seemed to be going forward. Last season, Michigan was first amongst all schools in tackle for loss allowed. They only allowed 34. That was the lowest in a complete season since before 2009. And the second closest last year was Air Force with 44. Second closest Power 5 team was Oregon State with 46. So Michigan was 12 tackles for loss better than the, ne than the next Power 5 team. So for 2022, over under 40 and a half tackles for loss allowed. Uh, it's going to be over. That was a pretty unprecedented and historic performance last year. Like it's a statistical anomaly when you look at it, that we were that good. So I'm going to say that doesn't hold up for a second year. You also brought up a great point. Like Hassan Haskins was the closest thing we'll ever have to Derrick Henry. I mean, he's the fall forward king. So uh, Blake Corum is going to be awesome, but different kind of back. Different kind of back, I think. So I, I will say over on that one. Last one. Last year, Michigan was number 15 in the country with 214 rushing yards a game. Over under in 2022, 210 and a half. Over. Over, over, over. I'm I'm buying this uh, this rushing attack. You got two home run hitters now. So I think that there can be some games where that gets really skewed with guys breaking 70-yard runs that you haven't seen at Michigan for a long time because Devion Smith, except for that play against BYU where he somehow teleported down the field, uh, they weren't really ripping off big 70-yard runs. I think you're going to see a lot of that. Edwards has home run hitting speed. Quorum has home run hitting speed. Um, neither one is necessarily a guy you want taking a ton of punishment. Quorum, a little bit more so than Edwards. Um, but if those guys stay healthy, I'm saying over. How did you see that one? That was an interesting question. I saw all three of them the same way, which is really funny because, like, even the tackles for loss going over, that could still, you know, be number one in the country. Uh, one of the stats I found really interesting when I was doing this research with the rushing yards per game. So last year, like I said, Michigan averaged 214 per game. In 2016, that Davion Smith team and Chris Evans, they averaged 212 yards per game. That just kind of struck me as like, huh, really? That's cool. <laughs> That is. Yeah. I mean, I do remember that being a good attack. It, it wasn't explosive by any stretch of the imagination, but it was solid uh, next year. Explosive. 
So uh, I, I, I'm I'm with you, man. I think we're going over on that. I think it's gonna be a really, really potent rushing attack. And one thing we're going to get to now talking about like really pushing the like the rushing attack and helping out on the edges is the fact that we have our top three tight ends back from last year. Segway. That's how you segue, folks. They don't call them the best in the business for nothing. Uh, yeah, let's move over to tight ends where uh, Grant Newsom, 24 year year old position coach, moving to take over. Uh, we all know him because he played there not that long ago. You uh, remember the devastating injury early on in the season where he was by far our most talented offensive line. Uh, was that the first Harbaugh year? Was that 15? Or was that, yeah, I think it was 15. No, it was 16 when he went down, lost our left tackle that season. Yep, that's right. Like early on in the season, almost had to have his leg amputated. It was a really, really devastating knee injury, uh, but stayed with the program, become a graduate, became a graduate assistant. I have never, I mean, in all the time we've been covering Michigan football, never heard more just glowing positive reviews of a player or person than Grant Newsom. I don't think anyone said even close to a disparaging comment about him. Um, seems like just a beloved figure in Ann Arbor comes from a great family. Um, obviously he has uh, his background being on the offensive line, working with the tight ends. Now, uh, this will be his first year taking over the role. So we don't really have too much to go on as far as what to expect from him. Other than this is a guy that players absolutely love. Uh, I'm excited to see what he can do as a recruiter. If you're that beloved, I think he's going to be really good at that. I think when you get him into the room and the way that he can back up, back up and talk about things like the medical facilities that Michigan has and the way that they treat him as family, even though he wasn't going to play anymore and his career was over after that injury. But the way they were like, no, we want you to be a part of this program. We want you to still be around this football team. I think that that's going to really connect with recruits. Um, I think that he's going to be able to still get along with these players because he's not that far off in age. So I'm really high on this. Uh, some people might be like, oh, that's too young. He has, we, we don't know what to expect from him. But at this point, are we questioning Harbaugh's choices of position coaches? I mean, pretty much everyone's been a home run, except for some of those early ones, you know. But, but, but we, don't talk, we don't talk about Tim Drevno anymore. Yeah, we, we don't mention that name here. We're way past the Pep Hamilton days and things like that. And we're not even going to discuss, you know, Wario. But, you know, we had some good times with him as well. But now it's just like it seems like home run after home run. And like you said about Grant Newsom, it's just a can't-miss guy. Like the maturation he has to have for a 24-year-old to be able to command the respect of people in this locker room, just it speaks volumes to how much everyone there believes in him, respects him. And I think he's going to bring a lot to this program, especially for a team that wants to run the ball and establish their dominance on the ground first. Having this guy around the program, he must have just done taken tremendous strides last season with his development. I believe, was he an analyst last season? I'm not sure. I know he transitioned from GA. And you know, this is this is just a home run all the way around. You said no one's ever said a bad thing about him. And if they have, I don't trust that person. So that's how Grant Newsom is like the Tom Hanks level of human being, where if you don't like Grant Newsom, I don't like you. So this is a home run hire, man. I'm excited to see what he can do. And like you said, a 24-year-old position coach. That is unbelievable. That's awesome, man. He deserves it by all accounts. Yeah, uh, entering Tom Hanks level of likability to where, like, if you say uh, anything disparaging about him, I just don't trust you as a person. I literally, The last Twitter fight I got in was with a girl saying that uh, Tom Hanks was overrated. And I was like, I'm going to fight you right now on this app. 
like online and I'm going to make sure the entire world sees it because that is just a trash claim. And that's where we're at with Grant Newsom. It's uh, just that level of likability. So I'm with you, man. You mentioned all the maturation too to command that room. So super excited about uh, of him taking over this role. I think he'll be with the program for a long time. So looking forward to seeing what he brings. Uh, you want to walk us through the guys to know uh, of the tight end group? Yeah, and a lot of it's just going to sound like an echo chamber from last year. So I'm going to read them off from names you're going to remember. Eric All, Luke Schoonmaker, Joel Honingford, and my boy, the freshman recruit who made a splash in the spring game, Colston Loveland. Absolutely. Those are the guys you need to know for depth. You got Carter Seltzer and Matthew Hibner. I don't think you'll see much of them just because of how deep this group is. Uh, Scoodmaker and Honingford guys that emerged last year. Eric all with a huge breakout campaign last year. And uh, after 2020, I mean, Eric all. He, he took a lot of hits, and some of it deservedly so. I mean, that whole 2020 campaign was an absolute disaster. His season was disastrous. I mean, he couldn't catch a cold. Uh, and then he comes back last year, and kind of like what we were predicting, uh, because we're like, there's no way he's as bad as he was in 2020. Absolutely proved that, and, and then some. I think he was better than I expected him to be last year. Um, I mean, just a, a big target and really relishes blocking. I think that's the most surprising thing about Eric all last year is that this isn't like a Devin Funches, even though he kind of looks like Funches when he's out there and he's catching passes as a pass catcher. I mean, big, he extends, he catches the ball high away from his body with soft hands. And then he gets into his, his route down the field. Um, but I, I think that the blocking is what really surprised me and his ability to get out and in front of guys. And, and he likes to like lay a big hit out there. So uh, this is, I, I'm going to say, like, potential star uh, in Eric All. Like, one of the best tight ends in the country next year could really rise up draft boards. Eric All is one of my two favorite players on this team. I'm just going to say that off bat. Like, he and Mikey Sane are still, like, I my love knows no ends when it comes to these two guys. Last season, All finished second on the team in receptions, receiving yards, and receiving touchdowns. I mean, just all over the place. And I thought it was um, it was really interesting for a guy that on a podcast on his birthday, when asked what he would rather do, score a touchdown or make a devastating block, he said make a devastating block. And it's this person that scored the most important touchdown for Michigan last season against Penn State on a snowy day when he took a slant route 47 yards to the house to preserve Michigan's bid for a Big Ten championship. So you know, I, I love seeing a player like all overcome adversity with just just being nasty like he didn't just like you know dance around the issues or do it no he attacked his problems just head on and violently and did it all last season I believe you were texting me during the Ohio State game like I would rather face oncoming traffic than Eric all coming downhill for a block during the Ohio State game he is just always on the edge with bad intentions and I think he could have a massive season this year even bigger than last year potentially you know who he kind of reminds me of, and I don't know why I didn't think of this. I mean, he doesn't have the basketball background, but he's got some Jimmy Graham to him in that, like, when he hits a guy, he's not using, like, his, his just bulk. Like, you get some tight ends out there. Like, Gronkowski is just using pure muscle. He uses his athleticism as a weapon against these guys, like his speed, his ability to get out there, and then he's mean. Like, he, he uses, he throws all of that weight around. He's not, like, the thickest dude you're ever going to see, but he's just, like, an athlete at the tight end position. I love that you're on Eric all Island. I mean, I, I mean, I'm right there with you. I'm, we're planting fl flags in all Island and guy Island, all guy Island, baby, you and me. 
Let's go. So print the shirts. Print the shirts. All Guy Island. They're going to sell like hotcakes. <laughs> but this this uh, tight end room, man, is so, so much fun because I gave all the Eric All stats. Last year, Luke Schoonmaker was tied first in receiving touchdowns. It's just, it's unbelievable that his emergence last year, how much size both of them bring. Like All is 6'4", 250. I think Schoonmaker 6'5", 250. So it's just like having like, these just, assets you can deploy all over the field with the tight end leaks the running schemes the way they use them man like this is is this the deepest tight end room you can remember at michigan yeah yes i i don't even need to think too hard about that because i mean the best tight end we've ever had at michigan is jake butt um but as far as like depth behind him we weren't really raving about the backups at that time i think you know we had on behind butt was like converted Zach Gentry. Um, maybe Nick Eubanks was kicking around there. Tyrone Wheatley Jr. We were super excited about, but that def- definitely didn't pan out. Um, so yeah, maybe there was a year we were more excited about it. Maybe the, the butt Wheatley year we were like, Oh man, this, this could be something. Um, but we know this is going to be something. We know what we're getting in Schoonmaker and Honingford, And those guys can serve as extra offensive linemen. Honingford being a converted offensive lineman they'll come in and they'll serve in that capacity at times. So you got three guys that really want to deliver hits. Uh, Scootmaker and Honingford became way more reliable as pass catchers too, even though all's the real weapon there. And then we haven't even mentioned Colston Loveland, who you included in guys that we should know. You're super high on this kid. Hard not to be. He's absolutely massive. Needs to, to put some weight on, maybe get some cheeseburgers in him. But like once he gets there, I mean, this is this is a deep room. You're not lying. Yeah, this is it's the most proven one-two punch I can ever remember at Michigan because like you talked about that 2016 squad. And even here's a fun name pull. Devin Asiasi was also on that team for a season that we were very high on as a freshman. But this this team, man, like those two guys at the top at tight end are very proven. Haunting like you said, just an asset to have in the run game and Colston Loveland. I'm so glad we got to him. Like ever since I watched his tape out of Idaho, I'm like, this kid's going to be it. Like, he is a stud. We also have another one coming in called Marlon Klein. So be on the lookout for him, a 6'6". He's a beanpole, but I'm telling you right now, that kid can play, and if you can get him to block, it's going to be something. But as a freshman in a deep tight end room for Loveland, we, we've seen the talent flashes at the spring game. We've seen the high school tape. What are reasonable expectations for him this year, in your opinion? For Colston Loveland? Correct. Yeah, uh... I would say that you're probably not going to see him too much because you don't need to see him. He'll get some garbage time run because our first three games are going to be cakewalks. I mean, we're going to be seeing everybody. They're going to they're going to empty the benches in those first three games. So we'll see him. Um, I'll say something like maybe three, four catches, 38 yards and a touchdown. He's going to get in garbage time. And this isn't a knock on him. I think he's a stud. There are just so many weapons on offense. I don't know who he's jumping. And like why we're going to be like, oh, we got to get Loveland some touches because, I mean, we got so many other guys. We need to get touches. You know, Darius Clemens needs to get some touches. Andrew Anthony needs to get some touches. Got to get Henning touches. Edwards needs to be getting touches as a receiver. Uh, Eric All has got to get more touches than he did last year where he was second on the team in receptions. So this is not a knock on Loveland in his freshman year. I, it's just uh, the depth of the position group. I, I don't see him. He, he probably actually red shirts. How do you see it? 
I hope he red shirts. If not, you could see a lot of him being used on special teams. But I, I'm right there with you. I'd love to see him in that that five catch range this season to really to get some time. If he scores a touchdown, that's just beneficial. But I think you preserve him for the most part because you don't have to use him. Because even Carter Seltzer, I think, finally got his first career catch last year. Maybe it got discounted. I, I can't remember off the top of my head. But Carter Seltzer is also a six eight target. So it's like there's just I think the tight end room is sneaky talented and uh, it's it's just it sucks for Loveland that it's so crowded, but it's beneficial to us to have so many good guys in front of them. Yeah, I mean, it's tough for him this year, but he's a true freshman. Eric All's probably getting drafted. I mean, he's a guy that I really think could shoot up draft boards, like I mentioned earlier. So there's going to be there's going to be snaps to be had. And I mean, you don't see a lot of true freshman tight ends coming in and being super impactful like Jake Butt did it and. uh I mean, there was there was some some moments, some Devin Asiasi moments, but he didn't really pop. So it's rare. Uh, I don't expect that to happen. I don't think the team expects that to happen. And there's no problem with that, because like come next year, um, you know, the the room's going to look a lot different and they're going to ask a lot more out of Colston Loveland. So so we're high on it. And I mean, I love the uh, the future, the the Loveland Klein, uh, you know, the law firm from 1941. Uh, I think that's going to be a pretty good, pretty good room uh, moving forward. But for this year stacked just proven proven talent um a star in eric all two awesome awesome role players in schoonmaker and honningford i mean this is what you want out of your tight end group i mean maybe one of the the room the most trusted rooms out there probably i would imagine this is the most desirable front you could want for an offense in college football because you have experience, you have talent, and you have continuity for the most part because you have your starting three tight ends coming back. You have four of your six linemen that were used. I mean, I mean, even you say Trent A. Jones played last year, so he's not completely inexperienced. You have just Olu Olubatimi coming in there, who's a Remington finalist at his position entering the fold. I mean, this is the most desirable front you would want to run behind in all of college football, and I say that with the utmost confidence. I'm with you, brother. Uh, here's a question for you. With how much we've hyped up this offense um, today, just doing offensive line and tight ends, um, everyone knows it. I mean, this is no secret now. Michigan's expected to have one of the best offenses, at least on paper, that they've ever had. Is this actually a detriment to Sharon Moore? Is it a benefit? You know, you would think, oh, man, you're getting the keys to this Corvette. You know, this this thing is ready to go. This thing is race ready. But then that's also an immense amount of pressure for a first year play caller. So benefit or detriment to have this much this much talent going in? Are the expectations too high? I think it's a, I, th I still think it's a benefit because it's a what have you done for me lately business and what has this group done for us lately? And it was get demolished by Georgia. It's like, okay, great. You can be the Joe Moore award winning unit, but what does that matter if you're just going to get smushed in the college football playoff? It's a good way to keep everybody locked in and dialed in to not just settle for like, we were a really good team. We were a generational team last year, but we didn't win a national championship. We're still in that tier below 1997. How do we get to that next level? So I think that's the driving force behind this team. They have the experience. They have the pissed off energy to come back and say, you know what? We are better. We're going to take that step together. Sharon Moore can prove it as a play caller, run behind the big uglies, get it to all in Scooney in space, and let's just keep it simple. Run the damn ball. <laughs> you know you know how I feel about that. That is how I live my life, sir. All right, two questions, and we're going to call it a night. Uh, Eric All last year, second on the team in receptions with 38, uh, second on the team in receiving yards, 437, and tied second in touchdowns for two. Where do you see his numbers in those categories this year? 
I see him ticking up, but not by too much because I, like I alluded to, this is going to be a run heavy offense. Do it. Got you here. You don't need to cute it up, but I think those are going to tick up no matter which quarterback it is. I think the receptions will go over 40. I think the receiving yards are over 500 and I think the receiving touchdowns are at four. Yeah, I was going to say I could see him doubling the receiving touchdowns because they didn't even start targeting him in the red zone. I remember some of our text threads from last year where early on in the season, it's like, man, we're playing really well. But the one kind of minor complaint we had, minor gripe, was passing in the red zone. Uh, we were having trouble early on in the season. And then they started featuring Eric Allmore. That really started to tick up. So I think that some lessons were already learned. We're not going to wait until week five or six to start getting him targets. So uh, of all those, I think the touchdowns going up is the thing I feel most confident about. And I mean, do you think he could match the, some of those Jake Butt numbers? It's going to be interesting to watch. That's the real key here because... All I, I will say this. I mean, Jake Butt, you know, friend of the program here. I think Eric All is a better blocker than Jake Butt. I think Jake Butt's an all around better tight end and player. But I, the way Eric All gets on the edge, man, and just looks to like just flat out kill people, I think is very rare, very George Kittle esque. Just looks for the violence of blocking. And that's very rare for people. I love it. That is a great take. And uh, last question give me a bold prediction for this unit, the tight end unit. I think Eric All, again, is second on this team to only a Ronnie Bell. Actually, you know what? Screw it. You said bold. Eric All leads the team in receptions. I think just like last year, it's going to be very spread out. He was very close to doing it last season. Eric All is your safety blanket this year. He is your playmaker. He is dynamic enough to do it. Leads the team in receptions. He didn't get targeted a lot till the end of last year and finished second. This year, he's finishing first. I love it. I'll go one as well. I will say that Eric all is the second tight end off the board in the NFL draft next year. It's a really good year for tight ends as well. That's the only reason I can't go first, but I think he's second off maybe in the second round. I could absolutely see it. Like we're like, we're talking about this whole time, man, star potential. It's right there. He might already be a star and the rest of the world doesn't know it. And they're going to learn this year when, uh, when he has just another monster year. So I can't wait to watch him, man. Uh, which of these position groups are you more excited to watch? Tight ends or offensive line? God, that's that's like asking me like which children, which kid is my favorite. I mean, Eric All, like I said, is one of my favorite players. But as a unit, just what this offensive line is going to do in and out, like it's hard not to salivate over that. But you can't go wrong with either. Yeah, I'm with you, man. There's no wrong answer on that one. But uh, all right, man. Anything else from you before we close this out? No, this was great. And next week we get to dive into the skill units. We get the running backs and receivers and then the one, you know, people are starting to murmur about in two weeks, quarterbacks. People are talking. People are talking. It's mostly just, uh, you know, like your girlfriend and my parents, but they're talking. <laughs> they're they're saying things i hear them i mean i'm glad i'm not the only one hearing them but they're there yeah man absolutely all right that's gonna do it for us tonight make sure that you like share subscribe wherever you get your podcast whether that's spotify apple music or wherever you can follow us on twitter at maize brew i'm jared that's andy this is out of the blue we'd like to remind you that wherever you go go blue